Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Please forgive me for telling the Spanish that your Sunday school class starts at 10 p.m. at night. <laughs> I think that was probably a, um, a mistake. Well, I know it was a mistake on my part, um, but I think that I'm going to blame the fever. How about that? Is that okay? Let me do that. 2018 has been a year of sickness in our home, but it's still been a good one. And uh, I'm thankful for uh, what the Lord is doing in our church, thankful for uh, the revival last week and uh, what God has been doing in people's hearts. And uh, thankful for you being here today. Um, after I'm, I, I wanted to preach so bad today, I knew what today was going to probably be like. But I texted Mike anyways. I said, no matter what, I'm preaching at 11, okay? And that doesn't mean that he wouldn't have been capable of doing it. It was just my heart was just full for, uh, for today's message. And so when, uh, when, when the message is over, if you'll please just allow me to excuse myself. And I don't want to pass this on to, uh, pass this on to anybody. Ephesians chapter number 4. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some pew Bibles in front of you, and uh, that would be on page 1648. 1648. And uh, we're in the midst of our series of Will You Forgive Me? And uh, I trust that the Lord is working in your heart and uh, that he will continue to do so here this morning. Ephesians chapter number 4. We're going to begin reading in verse number 17 of Ephesians 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Paul would have been referencing really as the unsaved, the unregenerate, non-Christian would walk in the vanity of their mind. Have the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, those of you that are in Christ, we've, this is different for us. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts. Remember what we learned. If you, were, uh, if you were part of our revival on Sunday night, John Van Gelderen was explaining how inside of us there was, that, there was that old man and that old master, and the old man was ripped away when you trusted Christ as your Savior. That's kind of what he's referencing here. You gotta, we put that off, and then we begin to put things on. But I want you to jump down to verse number 29. We'll look at a couple of those other verses throughout the course of the message. But verse number 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then our main text for this morning, to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so we started this series with the, the foundation of forgiveness. And of course, that, that starts always with God. And then last, two weeks ago, we looked at how God forgives us. And this morning, I want to preach a message entitled, Forgiving One Another. 
forgiving one another. Let's ask the Lord to, to bless this time. Father, I come before you as a man that is extremely needy of, Lord, your working in power. Father, I also submit that there's never a time in my life where that is not the reality. But Lord, I, I yield to that this morning. I yield to your working. I pray that, Lord, you would guide the thoughts and the mind. And Lord, I pray as the psalmist prayed that, Lord, you'd put a watch upon my lips. Only have me say that which, Lord, you would want me to say. And Father, we, in the power of the Spirit, we, uh, we bind the devil and... Lord, the demons that might be here this morning and the, power, the, the, the powers of darkness, Lord, so that we can see your light, so that we can see you working in our lives here this morning. Lord, we pray that those strongholds would be, would be bound this morning. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the glory for it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the Christian to be willingly unforgivable or unforgiving, honestly, is unthinkable. We have been forgiven by God himself and have no right to withhold forgiveness from another sinner. You and I, I think we would acknowledge that, that, that we are a sinner. And so God forgave us in Christ's sake. Hence, it would be unthinkable for you and I not to extend that forgiveness to another sinner just like ourselves. Scripture plainly commands us to forgive in the same manner in which we have received forgiveness. God commands us to forgive others because it reflects God's character. And unforgiveness is therefore ungodly. And so that means this morning that unforgiveness is no less of an offense than maybe, say, fornication or drunkenness, even though we do not often think of those sins maybe as equal. The Scripture is clear that God despises an unforgiving spirit. In Matthew 18, verse 21, the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith, said unto him, I say unto thee, until seven times, not until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. So he began to take record of who owed him and whatnot. And there was someone that owed him 10,000 talents. And so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase the rest of, the, uh, the rest of this text here. Uh, this, this master brings the servant unto him, and he said, I want you to, I want you to pay me the 10,000 talents that you have, that, that you owe me. And the man said, I, 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 I don't have that which... I owe you. And so the master said, okay, I'm going to bind you, your wife, and your children until you can pay this back. And the text goes that the man literally cried unto the Lord for, for mercy and for grace. And the master forgave him of the 10,000 talents that were owned unto him. And the man, the, the story goes on to say, and the man that was just forgiven of 10,000 talents went and found one of his servants that owed him 100 talents. And he literally said, I want you to pay me what you owe me. And the very similar story, the man said, no, 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 I, I, I don't have it. I, I, can't, I can't give it to you. But uh, if, if you'll just, you just give me grace, I'll, I'll pay it all to you at some point. 
And the man that had been forgiven 10,000 talents literally grabs the man by the neck. And he just says, no, that's not okay. And he relinquishes him and his family to the tormentors until he can uh, ultimately pay back that debt. Well, that gets back to the, the original master. And he comes back to him and he says, how can you, being a man that has just been forgiven of so much, how can you not be willing to forgive this man of 100 talents? So as God's children, this was, of course, a, uh, just kind of a, um, a parable that, that, that Jesus spoke of. But you and I, as God's children, we are to mirror this type of character. We are to mirror this type of forgiveness towards others. At salvation, you and I were, were given a new nature. We learned quite a bit about that on Sunday night. And that, and that new nature, it, what it does is it, it bears God's spiritual likeness in you. It, it, it brings forth what God is in you, Ephesians 4.24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's kind of the idea of literally someone putting on, putting on some clothes. The, the provision is made there in Jesus Christ, but God does not, we're not robots. God does not force things upon us. Rather, the provision is there in Jesus Christ, and you and I, we've got we've to put that on. You and I, got to just like I, before I left my office this morning, I put my jacket on. You've got to put on this provision. You've got to, by faith, as we've learned all last week, to claim that. So forgiveness is an integral part of the Christian's new nature. Here I'm about to say, an unforgiving Christian is a contradiction in terms. Because Christian ought to equate forgiveness. When you and I see of a professing Christian who stubbornly refuses to relinquish a judge, a grudge, or has a, has a mindset of, I will not forgive, it's a scary place to be. I think you and I can probably acknowledge that there's times and there's moments in life where that could be us. But I want you to, that brings us to our first point here, unnatural forgiveness. Unnatural. To face this this issue of forgiveness squarely, we must all admit that forgiveness does not come easily, hear me, even as Christians. Would you admit that? It's not always easy to forgive that person that said or did something unto you. Often we do not forgive as speedily or as graciously as we should. We're all too prone, all of us too prone to nurse the offenses, to kind of kind of just take care of that wound in our heart. We just keep, we kind of, we keep reliving it. We keep telling ourselves that, that, that we weren't wrong and, or that we were right and they were wrong and we keep kind of nursing that wound. And ultimately that withholds the forgiveness to the, to the individual. The reason why is because forgiveness is costly. It requires us to set aside our selfishness. It causes us to, to accept the grace, the, 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 the wrongs others have accepted with grace, excuse me, the wrongs that others have committed against us, and not to demand what we are due. It's difficult to do. <clears throat> All of that runs counter to our spiritual nature now in Christ. 
Okay, all of this, um, the, the, this, this desire to not forgive, listen, it, it, it goes counter to the, the, the new man in us, the new master in the spirit. Listen, our sinful master, that, that what we desire is to just give in and to, and to not forgive. Even as new creatures, we retain a remainder of sin in our flesh. Sinful habits and desires continue to plague us as our old master still resides within us. And that's why Scripture commands us to put that off and to put the new man on. Back in our text here of Ephesians 4, verse 22, that he put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that he put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true and holiness, there is a transaction here. You and I, we've got we've to take the, the, the continued provision that we have in Jesus Christ. We've got we've to say, no, 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 that, that's the way that I used to live. I'm not going to serve that master anymore. I'm not going to serve the master of unforgiveness. Instead, I'm going to allow the Spirit to bring about His fruit in my life, which is one of forgiveness. We see something very similar in another book uh, by Paul in Colossians 3, verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And so both in Ephesians and both in Colossians, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing a letter to two separate churches, church at Ephesus, church at Colossae. And he says, hey, you need to, you need to take care, you need to take up the provision. By faith, you need to claim what you've been given in Jesus Christ. Put off the way that you used to live and begin to live a new way. And in both of these letters to these churches, Paul ultimately gets to the new man is going to offer forgiveness. This man that has Christ inside of them, the very spirit of Jesus living forth through them, is a spirit and is a man that ought to be forgiving, he tells us in our immediate text of Ephesians 4, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Context, put off, put on. And as you put on, you will become a man or a woman that is of a forgiving nature. Why should we do it? As we learned two weeks ago, because God has forgiven us because of Christ. Well, he tells the church at Colossae in, in chapter 3, verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And so Paul is saying, he's saying, it's your old man Unforgiveness is the way you used to live. Doesn't mean that you're always going to be perfect, but it's the way we used to live. That's what our nature was. It was just the way that we lived. But now that we've trusted Christ as our Savior, now that the Holy Spirit of God has come inside of us and created a new man in us, you and I now have the ability to forgive. That spirit within us, that new man desires to forgive. I understand that it's, it's unnatural. Brings us to our second point here this morning. Essential forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important to the Christian's walk that it was never far from the focus of Jesus Christ and his ministry. 
Even at the heart of the, at the Lord's Prayer, Paul, his, Jesus Christ's petition was this in Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Luke chapter 11, also a parallel passage of the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are all stories of the gospel. They're all, it's a theological word for it would be the synoptic gospels. Kind of let me give you an idea of what that means. If you were to come to an intersection and you would have a man, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, standing at the four different corners, the events are happening they're all going to see it from a different angle. And that's why when you're reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see a lot of the, a lot of the same stories because they're telling of their time of walking with Jesus. They were, the, they were some of the disciples of Jesus. And so Luke to, or, or Matthew tells us, forgive us our debts. And then you see in Luke's perspective, and forgive us our sins, both the context and the parallel passages indicate that the debts referred to here are spiritual debts. Debtors are those who have committed transgressions against us. It's not so much a money transaction type of debt the way that you and I think of. No, no, no. This is a sin against us. Okay? How many of you have been sinned against before? Sure we have, right? Okay? And so it is significant that all of the phrases in the Lord's Prayer, and there's many of them, it was this phrase that Christ saw fit to explain in a little more detail. If we were to look at the whole Lord's Prayer, Jesus doesn't explain all that. But after the final amen of his Lord's Prayer, Jesus goes directly right into explaining what he meant by this, forgive us our debts. Okay, look at verse number 14 of Matthew 6. Should be up on the screen. Thank you, Nick. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will their Father forgive you, forgive your trespasses. I'll be honest with you, that's always been a very difficult passage for me, as well as for many other expositors. At first glance, it seems that God's forgiveness is revocable. Some have cited this verse to argue that if we refuse to forgive a, another person to those maybe that have offended us or those that have done something unto us, God will ultimately withdraw his forgiveness from us, implying that a Christian ultimately, you've got to take it to the end of it, ultimately that a Christian can lose their salvation. Ultimately, that if you don't forgive somebody, they do something to you, they say something to you, and then you don't ultimately forgive them, then God will relinquish your salvation. But the forgiveness I believe spoken of here is not a, hear me, it's not a judicial forgiveness of justification. It is the daily parental forgiveness we are to seek when our sin has grieved our Heavenly Father. One of the interpretive keys is, and I failed to put it up on the, uh, on the, uh, on the um, screen. That's what it's called. Sorry about that. Sorry, it's a little cloudy up there. But the whole Lord's Prayer starts with our, what? Father, which is in heaven. 
Okay, so we're not talking about a judicial justification where we say, you know, God, please forgive me of my sins and you are accepting Christ as your Savior. No, 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 that is a one-time judicial act. Just as if my children, who are perfect, by the way, and when they do wrong, which is like once every couple years, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Probably once every couple hours, more like it, at least for my son, Blake. And they sin against me or they go against maybe what we ask them to do. Well, I don't cease to love that child, right? I don't all of a sudden disown them and be like, you know, you're no longer, you're no longer a Johnson. No way. Instead, so instead, it's just like you've been, you've been grieved by that. And so the son or the daughter comes and says, Daddy, I'm sorry. And what? 100% forgiveness given. Okay, this is a prayer for parental not judicial forgiveness. And so what Jesus is actually saying here, listen to me, in my opinion, is this, the equivalent to this. should be up on the screen. If you refuse to forgive, your heavenly Father will discipline you severely for your sin of unforgiveness. You don't lose your salvation. No, if you were to go to, we don't have time this morning, if we were to go to the book of Hebrews, you learn that God, God chastens them that he loves. The, 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 uh, the, the, the phrase is literally talking about how if, if you don't belong to God, if you're not one of his sons, then you're not really chastened. That's why a lot of times, oh, well, the chastening's coming later, but here in this life, sometimes you could look out on the landscape and you just see radical sinners. You're thinking, man, how come they get away with that? During this life, they will at times, okay? So that leads me to the third point here, okay? We've talked about unnatural. I, I, I get it. It's unnatural. In your natural man, it's impossible. That's why we got to be born again in the Spirit, and then it becomes possible, and how it is essential, because Jesus spoke very clearly about forgiveness. But I want to get to our third point here, and that is pharisaical forgiveness, the divine priority concerning forgiveness was not shared by the Pharisees. Most of the influential religious leaders, that's what a Pharisee would be, is also the scribes of Jesus' day, they portrayed forgiveness as optional. The rabbis, they acknowledged that the Old Testament permitted and even encouraged forgiveness in some cases. However, they strictly limited it to the number of three times. And they went back to um, some Old Testament uh, teachings that if someone were to get, bring the same offense to you, you only have to forgive them three different times. They believed they had biblical authority for that view. They drew support from it from the book of Amos when God pronounced doom on the enemies of Israel with these words, Amos 1.3, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because thou have threshed Gilead with the threshing instruments of iron. And he continues to go on down, the same chapter pronouncing similar judgments. Look at verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Verse 9, 
Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Tyrus. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not turn away the punishment. Verse 13, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four I will not turn away the punishment of others. In other words, each of those hostile nations were permitted three offenses, but then God said, nope, you don't, you don't get a fourth time. And so the rabbis, they concluded that if God forg- forgives men only three times, it would be presumptuous and even wrong for us on a human level to forgive more than three times. I mean, I mean he, he's God. So they set a limit on the number of times forgiveness could be extended. Now, no doubt, because of the emphasis with which Jesus preached and taught while he walked on this earth, the emphasis of grace and the emphasis of forgiveness throughout his teachings, the apostles knew that Jesus was calling them to a higher standard. And since Christ himself had never mentioned the number of times with which we ought to forgive somebody for the same offense. Peter, he, he, comes to, he comes to Jesus. In Matthew 18, verse 21, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I mean, Peter, I mean, come on, Peter probably thought he was being super gracious here. Right? The rabbinical law said three times. And so, I mean, just come on, put yourself in Peter's shoes. Before we crucify him, hey, the law was three. Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to double that, and then I'm going to round it to the perfect number seven, the number of God. I mean, Jesus, he's going to be, he's going to be fired up with this number, right? Jesus replied undoubtedly, no doubt stunned Peter. And that brings us to our fourth point, and we'll look at Jesus's words unlimited forgiveness. Unlimited. Peter said, if someone sins against me, context would be the same type of sin. I'm supposed to forgive him seven times, right? Jesus' response said, saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times 7. Now the fleshly mind immediately protests what seems to be unreasonable, doesn't it? What? Doesn't, Doesn't forgiveness have a limit? I mean, common sense would seem to suggest that the repeated offenders shouldn't be grand pardon indefinitely. I mean, you know, we, we know what 70 times 7 is, right? That is 490 times the same offense, 490 times against you. No one can possibly even keep count of that high of offense, can they? That's exactly the point. That is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach. Jesus is not saying that you can literally tally up, and as soon as they hit 490, you can say, it's not what Jesus is saying. Okay? You and I, we couldn't even possibly do that. Here's the reason why. Keeping count has nothing to do with true forgiveness. 
If any offense is sincerely forgiven, then it can't be held against the offender. The rabbinical system is, in effect, required, hear me, it required an offended party to remember and record supposedly forgiven offenses. That's what the, that's what the, the rabbis and the Pharisees, that's what they taught they taught that, yeah, you're supposed to forgive three times, but really you're not because you're supposed, to, you're supposed to remember all those times. And then Jesus takes that to the up degree. Jesus' teaching eliminated a limit on forgiveness whatsoever. Seventy times seven set the standard so high that it would be pointless to even keep an account. <clears throat> of the injuries that they have endured. But I'll be honest with you, that's very fitting into the call that you and I find in Christ in 1 Corinthians 13 when it talks about a proper love. We're not to take an account of wrongs that are suffered. You and I, meaning account is keeping a ledger, so to speak. We're not supposed to keep track of what man and what woman has done unto us. You and I, we're supposed to just love. We're supposed to just forgive. And now, since God's forgiveness set the criteria so high by which we are forgiven, the standard, I'll be honest with you, it's extremely difficult to even come under that. But what may seem at first, hear me, what may seem at first like an impossibly unfair and unattainable standard, you listening? Is actually wonderful news. Because this is how God treats you. How often have you lied to God? How often have you said, how often have you said, God, I won't do that again. And you did it again. God, I, I won't think that way. And you thought that way again. Here's what I can say. I could be transparent enough to tell you that in my Christian life, I got saved at the age of 12, 36. That's uh, scary. What's that, 24 years? I don't even know. Just don't, don't make me do math right now. It's not in my notes. can't figure it out. I guarantee you there's probably been areas where I've grieved him more than 490 times. And yet God forgives us in Christ. So the bearing load of what Jesus said is the very thing that can free you because it's exactly the way that you were treated by God. You are treated by God. The Bible says because we are in Christ. We bear his righteousness. Let me make this statement up here. Jesus is teaching here that the forgiveness we extend to others should be as boundless as the mercy of God we desire for ourselves. That shatters all the limits anyone would try to place on human forgiveness. See, genuine forgiveness is not artificial. It's not done grudgingly. But it is given as freely as we ourselves desire to be forgiven. 
I have enjoyed in the last couple months extending forgiveness because of how God has forgiven me. It's freeing, guys. If we would really be honest with ourselves and begin to think, here's where I was and here's where I am now today because of God's forgiveness in our lives. It involves a deliberate refusal to hold the guilt over the head of the offender. It means ending the bitterness. It means laying aside the anger. It means refusing to to dwell on the offense. I know that's hard. It is a complete letting go of any thought of retaliation. It is as nearly as possible the human equivalent of what God promises when he says, I'll remember your sins no more in Jeremiah 31 verse 34 at the end, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Such forgiveness, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't come easy. Practically, when it deals with the kinds of sins that destroy lives, destroys relationships, when we're talking about a person that has just maybe slighted us a little bit or someone who's spoken an unkind word to us. Eh, I get that, Ryan. That's, that's easy. But what about when the offense is more serious? Where do people find the strength to forgive when they discover that a spouse has cheated? Or when a drunk driver's caused the death of someone that they love? Where do we find the source of forgiveness when someone has murdered a family member? Is it humanly possible to forgive offenses like murder, molestation, or even rape? It may not seem humanly possible, and it certainly does not lie within the power of fallen man's nature to forgive. But it certainly is possible for redeemed people under the influence of the Holy Spirit's power. And boy, if you were able to be a part of our revival, we learned about that power. Say, Ryan, you've mentioned this revival a couple times. Every single one of the messages starting Sunday morning at 11 on is on their website, on our app. I encourage you to just notch out hour, hour and a half and just listen to them. In the, in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you can take the situation that you faced and you actually can relinquish it unto God. See, there's oftentimes a mistake that we feel like we have to relinquish it unto that person. No. Because you know what? Sometimes that person isn't worthy of you relinquishing it unto them. You relinquish it unto God. You allow God to do the work and in your heart. So next week, I want to encourage you next week, we're going we're gonna to dive even deeper into this. Next week is Time Change Sunday. We lose an hour of sleep. Who's excited about that? Not me. Praise God that wasn't this week. Yikes. I went to bed at 7 o'clock last night. Man, I slept like 15 hours. It was great. It's kind of brutal sleep, but nonetheless. But next week, set your clocks ahead. Because here's some of the questions that I'm going to attempt biblically to answer for us. First of all, what is the difference between true repentance 
and a mere apology. Next one is repentance necessary for forgiveness. Some say, well, they never repented. They never said they were sorry. Three, how should we handle repeat offenses? What if you think the offender's repentance is a sham or it's a joke? It's, <laughs> you didn't really mean that. That's actually a very dangerous place to be because we're not God. We don't know. To whom should we confess our sins? Another one, when is restitution appropriate? And then another question, is the forgiver obligated to forget the offense? Is the forgiver obligated to forget the offense? I believe next week, I believe it can be literally shackle loosening. I don't even know if that sounded great, but it literally you can, it can change your life. I don't always say that, but I really believe that next week, some of these questions that I know that we have, these are legit questions. Even sometimes when I'm preaching generally on the area of forgiveness, we're thinking, yeah, well, what if they're not sorry? Yeah, well, what if they've done it three, four, five times? I think we've seen 490 times. The point is, is that we forget or we forgive the first one so we don't keep track of those. And hopefully something said next week will really begin to take these chains off that I believe are in our lives, chains of unforgiveness. And I appreciate allowing me to uh, to come in, to slip in. Literally, I had someone text me when the announcements came because I didn't want to, uh, I, I got a fever right now and I don't want to give that to you. So, but I pray that, I pray that something was said would be a blessing to you. Thankful for Christ. Thankful for his provision and sufficiency in our life. And uh, we trust that, uh, we trust that the Lord will continue to do this work in our life. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Lord, the day you've given to us, we thank you, God, for the power that is found in Scripture. Lord, I thank you that in Ephesians 4 and in Colossians 3, we find that this new nature power is found in Christ. And in both of these, as we put on the new man, as we, as we take our provision that is found in Jesus Christ, in both letters, kind of identical topics, we see that forgiveness is found in there. And Lord, we're able to extend that forgiveness because God forgave us because of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would grant us victory. I'm